Morning, guys. Happy Easter. Good to be together. Um, you know, I imagine for some of this, this could maybe be a challenging day, not being able to be with family, but um, I'm grateful to be able to connect with you guys, and I miss you guys. I can't wait to, to all come together again. Uh, but even today, we continue to celebrate Easter, such a, uh, you know, you know something so worth celebrating. Uh, before we get into stuff, announcements, um, one, you know, thank you guys for continuing to give online. That is really helping us to continue to uh, function as a church. Um, and so thank you guys so much. If you're, if you're not sure where that's at, you can go to our website, freestate.church, and uh, you can click the Give tab. Uh, thank you guys very, very much. Um, we'll have midweek again this Wednesday at 7 p.m. We'll continue to come together, have communion together. And uh, I just want to give a you know, a major shout out and a thank you to all of our uh, healthcare professionals, first responders, people who are on the front lines during all this, putting their, you know, putting their life on the line, uh, working so hard. Thank you guys so much. Um, you know, but today is Easter. And what I love about Easter is Easter means hope. And, you know, this is, this was a, I don't know, kind of a phrase or a, a theme that I've kind of adopted over the years when it comes to Easter. Easter means hope. You know, Easter Sunday is the day that we celebrate the resurrection. But before resurrection takes place, there's usually death and burial. And this is a cycle, death, burial, and resurrection that we see all throughout Scripture and all throughout our lives. You know, there will always be periods of death, of loss, of suffering, of pain and sadness, of abandonment or betrayal. There will always be burial. There will always be stretches and wondering and questioning and loneliness and doubt and regret, confusion. There will always be these periods of death and burial, but that, that's what makes today so great. That's what's so incredible about Easter is that the story didn't end with death. The story didn't end with burial. And although we go through these periods of death and burial in our own lives, the story doesn't have to end with death and burial. With God, there is always hope of resurrection. And that's what I love about Easter. Easter means hope. Because no matter how dark the death is, no matter how bleak, the burial, resurrection is often right around the corner. And we see this cycle throughout scripture of death, burial, resurrection, and including in the book of Daniel, which is where we're going to continue to be this morning in Daniel chapter 9. Uh, you know, Daniel 9 includes an incredible message of hope that we're going to look at today. And we're going to see something that's so profound, so faith-building, that even in Daniel's time, Jesus always was and always will be the answer. And no matter where we're at, there is always hope that's found in Jesus. So the title of my lesson today is Hope in Exile. Let's look in Daniel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. I've got a little Easter flair on the font there for everybody. Daniel 9, starting in verse 1. It says, in the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, 
understood from Scripture that according to the word the Lord had given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem seventy years. So, right, Persia had recently come in and conquered Babylon, and so this this Daniel nine here is taking place somewhere around five thirty nine B.C. And so Babylon came in, took the exiles around 605 BC. So up to this point, the exile had been going on for, you know, 66, 67 years. And so this 70 year period of exile in Babylon was going to be coming to an end soon. And Daniel's reading about this through God, you know, speaking to Jeremiah. Let's, let's take a look at what he was probably reading in Jeremiah chapter 25. There are a couple. Uh, 25. Um, let's look in verse four. It says, and though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, turn now each of you from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave you and you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods or serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with, your hand, uh, with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you, but you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made. You have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar declares the Lord. I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy an object. Bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones, the light of the lamp, this whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And so this 70-year period is almost up, but why were they in exile in the first place? Because I think we learned something here that's so important in this story, but also in our own life, and that's sin leads... You know, we end up in exile, maybe for different reasons, but more often than not, it's because of our own sin. And that was the case here for God's people. And God hadn't abandoned them. God wasn't unable to rescue them, right? We think that scripture in Isaiah, you know, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face so that he will not hear. They were in exile because of sin. In spite of the covenant they had made with God, in spite of the agreement, in spite of the warnings from God's prophets, for years they continued to rebel. They continued to worship other idols and foreign gods. They continued to engage in all sorts of different pagan activities. They were in exile because of their sin. And God was so patient with them. For 400 years, warning after warning, continual patience. But that sin and rebellion eventually led to their exile. And it's such an important lesson for us to remember. 
Remember, sin always leads. And how empty and broken and lonely it led me to become. You know, guys, sin always leads to exile. And Daniel knew this. He knew why they were there in exile. But what we see from Daniel here, and what we're going to read in, in Daniel 9 and continue to read, is his incredible heart of humility toward Israel's sin. You know, sin leads to exile, guys, but humility leads to hope. You know, let's continue reading here in Daniel chapter 9. This is one of the most incredible prayers recorded in scripture. And I want to just, I want to read it and I want us to focus on Daniel's heart of humility. You could, we could do an entire, you know, a uh, few month series just on this prayer. Uh, but today we're just going to talk and focus a little bit on Daniel's heart of humility. In, in Daniel 9, let's look in verse 3, right? So he's, he's reading Jeremiah. He's realizing that uh, this time in exile is going to be 70 years, and that time is coming to an end. And so in verse 3, it says, I turned to the Lord God, and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our ancestors, and to all the people in the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we're against you. The Lord, our God, is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord, our God, or kept the laws he gave us through his servant, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, who have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors 
have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear you. Man, sin leads to exile. But guys, even in exile, there's hope. But humility is often the key to that. Sin leads to exile, but humility leads to hope. And Daniel is such an incredible example of this. Look at, you know, listen to his prayers. Look at the way that he's praying this. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away. We have not listened. We are covered in shame. We have sinned against you. You know, when you're studying out Daniel and you're reading this prayer, I mean, Daniel is one of the most righteous and faithful men in human history, right? Daniel wasn't worshiping these other gods. It was just the opposite. Daniel and his friends refused to worship other gods so much so that they were willing to, to die, right? Daniel didn't, you know, sacrifice children or engage in all these different pagan acts from these surrounding nations. That was his ancestors, Daniel could have so easily separated himself from the sin of Israel and pointed the finger, right? He could have pointed the blame at the reason he was in exile. It wasn't because of his sin, but because of their sin. He could have taken the mindset that he was being treated unfairly, that this wasn't his fault. You know, pity me. He could have even resented God. Why am I here? But we don't see that at all. He had the humility to realize that he was no better than anybody else. And he was just as much a part of this people as anybody. You know, it reminds me in Luke 18, a great story there in verse 9. It says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers or evildoers or adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. As humility leads to hope. You know, when Jesus was preaching his inaugural sermon, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, this message that was setting the stage for what life was going to be like in the kingdom of God, this new everlasting kingdom, the kingdom that we even read about. In, where does he start? The first place. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritual beggars, right? Blessed are those who are aware of their condition and approach 
God with humble hearts. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Humility leads to hope, guys. But humility is so hard. It's hard to view yourself accurately. It's so hard to admit your own mistakes. It's hard to be real about the sin that's in your life and in your heart and confess them. It's hard to get open and raw and ugly and share with one another the things that we're ashamed of, the thoughts we're ashamed of, the fears we're ashamed of, the actions we're ashamed of. It's hard to realize and understand that no matter how good we think we might be, we are no better than anybody else. It's so much easier to justify our sin or to rationalize our sin. It's so much easier to hide it and pretend it's not there. It's so much easier to point the finger at someone else as the reason for where we're at and for the exile we're in. Humility is hard. But guys, if we can humble ourselves, if we can get real and raw about the sin in our life, if we can get on our knees in humility and turn back and seek God with all of our hearts, it's amazing how God blesses that heart of humility. Let's look in Jeremiah 29. This is another passage in Jeremiah where he refers to this period of exile for 70 years. And we know this one really well. In Jeremiah 29, let's start in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and the places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Man, guys, even in exile, there's still hope. Sometimes we just have to humble ourselves first, right? I, I think about in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 where it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their lands. And that's exactly what we see here from Daniel. He gets down on his knees in raw humility and he gets real and he gets humble. And boy, does God answer his prayer. Let's look back in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel receives some of the most encouraging news possible. Daniel chapter 9, let's look in verse 20. He says, while I was still speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man that I had seen earlier in a vision, 
It came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. You want to talk about an encouraging quiet time. I mean, you're in the middle of a quiet time. You're reading, you're on your knees, you're getting real. And as soon as you're in the middle of the prayer, as soon as you send it up, Gabriel shows up to give you an answered prayer. I mean, it's just incredible. And let's look at what he says. We'll start in verse 23 again. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. Gosh, so he's having this quiet time. He's reading Jeremiah. He's kneeling before God in humility. He's praying. There's even so much hope in the fact that, guys, God hears our prayers, right? When we're in exile, if we would humble ourselves, God hears our prayers. And he's praying. He's confessing. And Gabriel shows up with this message. And boy, was it an incredible message. He says, 70 sevens are decreed for your people before transgression and sin will be put to, to an end, will be finished. Wickedness will be atoned for. Everlasting righteousness will be brought. And, you know, you can read on the rest of the chapter, but he talks about how the anointed one will be coming. Not only does God hear his prayer, but he sends him a message of hope. Jesus was coming. Now, I do want to give a little disclaimer here. You know, as you read Daniel chapter 9, uh, there are several different schools of thought of how to interpret, how to, uh, you know, what explanation there is for, you know, Daniel 9 and these 77s, depending on what books you read, what, uh, you know, how you study and where you kind of land. And the reality is there is no 100% factual way to land on any of them. Uh, there, there are, you can, you can make a case for or against any of them. So I, I can't sit up here and tell you, Hey, this is exactly, you know, what this says and what this means. But just for fun, I want to look at one possible explanation for this 77s. Okay. And so uh, it's widely accepted that sevens is, is a year of seven. It's a, a, a period of seven years. Okay, and some of your translations may say weeks. Uh, weeks is saying, you know, in Hebrew, same word for seven, uh, different calendar stuff. But he's talking about 70 seven-year periods. Okay, and so this is one of one possible explanation. 70 seven-year periods, 490 years. 490 years from the decree to go restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Okay, we see that in the book of Ezra. Uh, there's a couple different uh, decrees you could go from, uh, but the, mo the one that's most specific to going and rebuilding the city, rebuilding Jerusalem, to transgressions, 
He will do away with sin. He will bring in an everlasting righteousness. Okay, once again, can't say for 100% certain, but just for a little Easter fun, pull out your calculators, right? This decree from Artaxerxes happened around 458 BC, give or take a year. We don't know for sure. So type in your calculator, minus 458, right? Because we're dealing with BC, minus 458, and go ahead and add minus 458 plus 490. You come up to a 32. Now, it just so happens that around the year 32, plus or minus, you know, uh, around that year, 30 AD, there was a man claiming to be the Messiah, which in Hebrew is anointed one, okay, claiming to be the, uh, the Messiah who came, was crucified on the cross, was buried, and was raised again, putting an end to sin, putting an end to transgression, and bringing in the possibility of everlasting righteousness. Now, there's several different possibilities you could go with this. I'm not saying this is fact. Like I said, all of these different possible explanations you could argue for or against them. There are certain numbers you could, you know, say it doesn't work. Whatever. It's just, it's just a possibility. But wherever you land on the, the interpretation of the 77s, you know what I find such incredible hope in? Even while God's people were deep in exile, Jesus was coming. Even while God's people were at their worst, Jesus was coming. Jesus always was and always will be the solution. You want to talk about an encouraging quiet time. Once again, Daniel's sitting there, he's reading, he's praying, he's humbling, he's crying out for God to redeem his people, to restore his people, his city. While he's in the middle of his prayer, Gabriel shows up with some unbelievable news. The Messiah is coming. Sin is going to end. There will be an everlasting righteousness that is possible. Guys, even in exile, there's still hope. Exile wasn't the final chapter. Separation from God wasn't the conclusion. No matter how far off they had gotten, there was still hope in Jesus. That was true in that day, and that's still true to this day. Guys, Easter means hope. That's, so, that, that, that's what's so incredible about this day. You know, I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe hope seems in small order. Maybe you're in exile. Maybe you feel like you have been, you know, separated. Maybe you are feeling that exile. And I don't know why. But maybe it's because of sin in your life. And maybe it's time to swallow your pride. Maybe it's time to stop pointing the finger. Maybe it's time to, to quit justifying or rationalizing your sin and humble yourself and realize that sin always leads to exile. And it's time to humble ourselves before God. Wherever you're at today, today we find hope. Easter means hope because exile, exile isn't the end of the story. And it doesn't matter how dark the death or how bleak the burial resurrection is often right around the corner. 
Guys, today we celebrate this answered prayer from centuries ago. This incredible plan, Jesus coming to fruition. The Messiah was prayed for, was prophesied about, was anticipated for years. He came, he died for our sin, he was buried, but that wasn't the end of the story. He was resurrected. And so guys, today we rejoice because Easter truly means hope. And so, you know, I hope you can spend some time today, maybe where you're at or where you have been, but regardless, guys, we see this cycle all throughout Scripture and throughout our entire lives, this cycle of death, burial, but also of resurrection. And the God we serve is not just a God of death and burial. He's not just a God of exile or separation. He's a God of resurrection. He's a God that, that desires to redeem his people and restore relationships and bring us back. And so today, on this day, no matter where you're at, no matter how you're feeling, no matter what's going on in the world or in your own life, there's hope. There's hope in Jesus. And so, uh, guys, it's been great to be together I will say this, Daniel had this incredible message of hope, but he also realized that it wasn't going to come for, you know, 490 years. So there's also, there's, there's a patience that's required. And so, uh, you know, we have to hold on to hope and realize that sometimes we've just got to hang in there. And that's actually what we're going to look at. That's kind of one of the big takeaways of what we're going to look at next week as we close out our series in Daniel, when we look at chapters 10, 11, and 12, one of the most, uh, I think, just an incredible ending to this incredible book. Uh, and so it's been great to be together. Thank you for those who, who have joined us this morning. I hope uh, you can find hope on this day and you can have an incredible day. Um, and I hope that we'll see you next week as well. So just a reminder, uh, thank you for those who have been giving online and continue to do so. Let's go ahead and go to God in prayer and we'll close our time today. God, thank you. God, thank you that you have not given up on us. God, thank you that you're a God, not of just death and burial, but a God of resurrection. God, thank you that even in exile, even if that exile is due to our own sin, there's still hope. God, there's hope in Jesus. God, I, I read this story of Daniel here. What a message of hope. In the middle of exile, the exile, it wasn't going to last forever, and Jesus was going to come. God, I thank you for the hope that we can find in our own lives, that if we're experiencing exile, that through Jesus, God, there is hope. And I pray for any of us that may be going through some type of an exile, God, that we can look inwardly with humble hearts, with a sober, realistic view of ourselves, God, and if there's any sin in our life that's caused or led us to exile, Father, that we would humble ourselves. God, that we would get real and raw and open about the sin in our life, that we would stop justifying and pointing the finger or, 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 or hiding it or wishing it away or pretending it's not there, but realize that it doesn't matter who we are. We're no, we're no better than anybody else. Pray that we can humble ourselves and in that humility find a hope. God, we know that you raise up the humble. You, you give grace to the humble. I pray that we can be those humble people and, and reflect the same heart we see from Daniel here to humble ourselves before you. 
God, we love you and we're so grateful for the hope that we can be assured of on this day. We're so grateful for the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that that brings. God, we love you. And it's in your son Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Love you guys. Happy Easter.